I was listening to that overtime that came out, and you were time, you were like, I'm like Ron Burgundy if you don't put it. That's good. And you were like, if it's not, I read it word for word no matter what it says. Welcome back for another episode of Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. With Dr. Rick and Dr. Danny. I'm Rick. And I'm Danny, and we're excited to be back for another episode of Medical Minute. And I see you itching with a trigger finger over there. What you got for me this week? You know, it's almost Halloween, Rick, and I came across a Halloween-type joke here. What is a ghost's favorite pie? Uh, Booberry. Boom, you got it. Oh, nailed it! What else you got? So we must do another one because you got that so easily. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of tea is often hard to swallow? What kind of tea is often hard to swallow? Um, Sweat tea? Reality. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, that's... It made me chuckle when I read it. Yeah, that's something like that. All right, we'll we'll leave it at that. So today we're going to talk about lung cancer, pretty... um, large topic in oncology it's a extremely common malignancy which we'll talk about unfortunately and something that obviously i think most people know is uh, a big proportion of lung cancers are associated with smoking not all but but a lot are right um and we'll kind of go through kind of the beginning sort of what are different signs and symptoms what can people do to prevent it talk about treatment talk about some statistics which i know you're Mm. dying to talk about Dr. Danny. So I guess I'll let you get us started kind of big picture wise, you know, what, what are your, what's your thoughts on lung cancer? Well, I, you know, lung cancer, I mean, the treatments evolved, you know, since we were in training, Rick, I think I remember one of the first patients I treated in fellowship was a unfortunate, you know, 48 year old with new diagnosis of stage four lung cancer. And we had really at that time chemotherapy was his only option uh to begin with so we we used to give different combinations of chemotherapy and hope that patients tumors would shrink and that they would maybe get a little bit better quality of life and um that was kind of predating some of the new immunotherapies that have come out so I look back at that kind of first experience and you know it's it's not a good experience because you know, we, we weren't really making strides to, to help patients live longer or, or really even feel better. Um, and so, you know, nowadays when we're, when we're approaching lung cancer, it's such a personalized, you know, treatment for each, each patient coming to us. We do, you know, standard things to kind of figure out what the best treatment option is for patients. But what I, what I start out with when I look at a, a new patient with a lung cancer diagnosis is, you know, what type of lung cancer is it? Um, and, you know, the next question is, is it localized lung cancer or is it cancer that's spread other places? So um, there's two main types of lung cancer, two big categories. There's non-small cell lung cancer and small cell lung cancer, and they are treated differently. Um, uh, generally, cancers are staged from stage one to four, uh, stage one being a, a solitary growth of cancer cells uh, in one one portion of the lung, you know, for lung cancer. And 
Stage four would mean that that cancer's traveled outside of the lung to a different location and started to grow. So, um, you know, staging is important to decide what the best treatment option is for patients. And that's, you know, both for non-small cell lung cancer and small cell lung cancer. So the, the two big categories, um, non-small cell lung cancer makes up about 85% of all new cancer diagnoses, and small cell lung cancer makes up about 15% of those. Um, Brenna's been so kind to share some statistics with us, and I'm going to utilize these right now. So there's 235,760 new cases of lung cancer in 2021. And I think, you know... Think about that. Almost a quarter of a million people. It's pretty with, crazy. Yeah, with, with lung cancer, and it's... it's new um, cases. That's not people... You know, that's new cases. Right. That's wild. Right. And, you know, I, I think that we... When we get a, a new patient with, uh, let, well, let's start with non-small cell lung cancer, um, there are different subcategories of non-small cell lung cancer, and I think all these details are important in deciding kind of how we perform the workup and how we decide on ultimately treating patients. Yeah, I think that, you know, as a, a, a patients and family listening, I think the first step is when you have a new diagnosis of lung cancer is when you talk to your doctor, you know, get a sense of obviously what type of lung cancer it is, like Danny said, what stage it is, and that really is going to determine kind of what the next steps are. You know, we can get into a lot of different details and into the weeds of specific types and subtypes and different things we look for on those subtypes, and, you know, sometimes I think the forest gets lost through the trees, and it's important that, you know, big picture-wise is stage and, and subtype of lung cancer, and then that will influence kind of what types of doctors you're going to see, what different treatments um, recommendations are going to be made for you. But I think, you know, the way I look at lung cancer is I, I actually view it as one of the biggest success stories in, in all of oncology, even though the death rate from lung cancer is still higher than things like breast cancer and prostate cancer. If you look at the improvements that have been made in lung cancer in the last 10 to 15 years, I think we've done more to impact survival in lung cancer than we have in a lot of other cancers. Um, and, I, and that's a combination of better drug therapy and targeted therapy on your side, better quality radiation, better technology with radiation um, on our side. And I think, and also too, some of it is what we call stage migration um, in that we'll talk a little bit about prevention and low dose lung CTs for high risk patients to screen for lung cancer, because if we can catch lung cancers at an earlier stage, they're more likely to be treatable and curable versus, I think, unfortunately, historically, a lot more were caught when sometimes they were incurable or had already spread to multiple places in the body. So I think it's a, um, and that plus more people not smoking and, and kind mm -hmm. of a higher percentage of the population getting off of cigars, cigarettes, chewing tobacco, I think is um, made significant differences. So I think it's, the numbers may not bear it out. It may not seem like, you know, because still there's still a high proportion of patients who pass away, which obviously is unfortunate. But big picture-wise, when you take a step back where we were 10, 15 years ago, I actually think lung cancer might be one of the greatest success stories in modern oncology. I agree, Rick. I think, you know, even not even 15 years ago, I think right around the 10-year mark when we started to get the data on immunotherapy and some of the targeted therapy data came out where we recognize that there are certain genetic mutations in lung cancer which we can 
give a drug and, and lead to an improvement in survival uh, without having the need to give patients chemotherapy. So those were huge advancements, and we're, I think, continuing to make those same advancements to this day uh, where we're seeing a lot of new stuff come out. I think the, just to get back to that stage migration, uh, you know, point is, you know, looking here at our talking points, you know, what are the signs and symptoms of lung cancer? Well, really for early stage lung cancer, most patients have no symptoms. And so that's the scary part about it is that, you know, how can we catch it at an early stage um, when, when a patient has no symptoms, you know? Um, and what really has revolutionized our ability to catch cancers earlier has been the implementation of CT lung cancer screening protocols where we do low-dose CT scans of the chest for individuals who are, at, who are at the highest risk of lung cancer. Yeah, so I think that's a bit a big change because before, you know, even patients who had a high probability of having lung cancer, there was no real guidelines in place. Um, and then there were several studies, but one big study in the United States that kind of influenced the recommendations um, for comparing basically chest x-rays versus low-dose lung CTs. And what they found was that not only was the proportion of patients dying from lung cancer lower in those, in those patients who got a CT versus who didn't, they also saw that there was potentially, you know, as questionable, but an overall survival benefit. So mm -hmm. meaning that even non-lung cancer-related reasons, for some reason, <laughs> mm -hmm. with the low-dose CT, people were, were living longer. So I think the message is if you are a smoker, if you're older or if you were a longtime smoker and even if you've quit for you know 5 10 15 years it still places you in that high risk category mm -hmm. so speak to your primary care doctor speak to um, any of us at cancer specialists you know we have a low dose lung screening program um, as well and we'd be certainly happy to see if you fit the criteria for mm -hmm. um, screening but it, it kind of goes you know, people always talk about mammograms and breast exams mm -hmm. and prostate and PSA, but right. but we don't really put as much focus on lung cancer for whatever reason. And I think it's important if you're really anyone over the age of 50 who, even if you're a smoker, not smoker, or a former smoker, it's worth at least discussing with your primary care provider or right. another doctor to see if you would be eligible um, to obtain a screening scan. Yeah, and I think the recommendations have uh, recently been changed yeah. to opened up uh, a little bit more yeah yeah start screening patients like you said at age 50 or so and um even a, a lower uh amount of you know pack years where which correlate with how many uh packs of cigarettes you know per day you smoke over well, a period of time and, and as a, and as the ra resident radiation oncologist yeah. i feel compelled to say people always say well i don't want to get a ct scan because of all the radiation <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess I'll equate it to a low-dose screening lung CT is about as much radiation as traveling cross-country and back on an airplane. Mm -hmm. So that's about as much radiation as you'll be getting from a low-dose um, screening lung CT. So if, if that is your hesitancy for not doing the scan, I can. Right. Th that's not the right mindset to be in for not doing it. So just one thing that I commonly hear is, well, I don't want to do a CT because of, because of the, the radiation involved. But I think we're talking a very low amount of radiation relative to what you experience right. in day-to-day -day life. Yeah, and the and just to highlight too that these scans are not done with IV contrast, so you don't have to worry about getting an IV put in for your CT scan that these are non-contrast low-dose CT scans that 
um, should only take minutes of your time, you know, once you're in there and get your appointment. So, and it could save your life. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that leads us to well, what, what is the number one thing someone can do to prevent a lung cancer is if you're smoking, stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that by far and away, the biggest risk factor for lung cancer is smoking. And, yeah. um, it's, there's no way to split the pie. Otherwise it's the strongest signal for, um, increasing your risk of lung cancer. So um, I think that's the main thing in terms of prevention is if you are using tobacco products to do your best to stop and ask your doctor for different resources, there are now so many, not only, you know, pharmaceutical options, but behavioral therapy options and other things that can be done to help you quit smoking. Because the way I always tell my patients is it's not an indictment on you Mm-hmm. that you can't stop smoking. There's a reason the tobacco companies make as much money as they do is these are very addicting products. So you really have to change brain chemistry to to kind of stop and it's not a um it's just a very hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes people feel discouraged because they can't do it on their own and really it's something that, you know, most people can't do it on their own and they require assistance to help them. Right. Right. And I think just being open with your primary care doctor or if you see one of us and we'll give you some resources to help you. You know, so one of the things I want to mention too with low-dose CT scans is we do those screenings for patients who had a history of smoking, but actually there's been, unfortunately nowadays, more data out there showing that, you know, lung cancer can develop in non-smokers and we don't have a good way of detecting or any screening programs for individuals at risk of lung cancer who are non-smokers. And I think that's an area unmet need for research to kind of figure out who those high-risk patients are who are non-smokers. Um, I think it, it, generally I would say if you have a family history um, of lung cancer and uh, it's worthwhile talking to your doctor and potentially um, exploring whether uh, you need to consider, you know, either low-dose CTs. And you could actually do low-dose CTs in a non-screening manner. So there's a way to order low-dose CT scans and still be exposed to low amounts of radiation. Uh, but but if you were uneligible given your uh, smoking history, it could still be ordered if your doctor feels like there might be certain things in your history which put you at risk of uh, developing a lung cancer. So uh, all I want to say is worth mentioning to your doctor going over your family history and, and some of your concerns. And we can always, you know, talk about whether patients that don't maybe meet those screening criteria would benefit from a CT uh, in the future. Um, but, uh, you know, I read something recently that just said that's kind of one of the unmet screening needs is, is who, how we can identify those patients um, and, and, who might benefit from screening who are non-smokers. And, you know, I think um, the real question is, you know, why screen? And the the reason, like we kind of alluded to, is to try to catch the cancer if it's there at an earlier, more treatable stage. So I think big picture, you know, when you're talking early stage lung cancer, so stage one, stage some stage two, Lung cancers, so basically we're talking, as you mentioned earlier, Danny, cancers that are still confined to the lung. They haven't spread anywhere else in the body. They haven't spread to the lymph nodes of the chest. Um, You know, the primary treatment for those in patients who are 
medically fit is to have a surgery where they take out that lobe of the lung and do a lymph node dissection. Um, and then the other option for those patients, either if they're not surgical candidates, so either they can't get the surgery, they don't want surgery, or they're medically got too many other problems for surgery, one of the things we do is treat with definitive radiation, so targeted pinpoint um, high-dose radiation, which has been a pretty big advancement in the last 10 to 15 years. You know, we didn't have that option for those patients previously. And then as you kind of go higher into the stage and more advanced lung cancers, so stage three lung cancers, so those are lung cancers that are in the lung, they're in the lymph nodes of the center of the chest typically. Those are patients that um, Danny and I would see together because they would typically get some combination of chemotherapy and radiation together. And then for a lot of these patients nowadays, getting immunotherapy afterwards um, for a set amount of time. Yeah. And then for patients who the cancer unfortunately is spread outside of the lung or outside of the chest to the bones or to other areas in the body, those are patients primarily managed um, by Danny and his colleagues with combinations of chemotherapy, immunotherapy, targeted agents, other things that you mentioned, and then potentially radiation in certain situations to help with symptoms or if there's only one or two spots to help um, address those areas. So the the bottom line is, you know, beyond the scope of this podcast is, I think, getting into the weeds of the treatment in terms of details, but mm-hmm. just big picture-wise, understand that there are are three main types of doctors typically involved with the management, uh, four main types of doctors involved. Pulmonologists, which are the primary lung doctors, they're typically the ones who will do the biopsy. They'll do um, uh, the evaluation with the bronchoscopy. The surgeons, if your cancer is operable, so cardiothoracic surgeons, the, myself as a radiation oncologist, and then medical oncologist on, on Danny's side. So the, the reason I say that, all that, is to say that it's a team approach. So when you have a lung cancer, if you're out there listening or your family member has a lung cancer, just make sure that whoever you're seeing is getting a team approach involved. You know, I think sometimes we run into issues where, you know, they may not get the input of all the mm-hmm. different providers. So I think it's important that before any treatment decisions are made, yeah, you know, everyone has a chance to review review the case. Yeah, I think that's extremely important. I think in our practice, even if the physicians aren't in the same building, you know, we refer out, you know, if I feel like the patient needs a radiation oncology consultation, I refer to Dr. Rick or one of our radiation doctors. I, if I think they need a surgical consult, whether, whether the patient proceeds with surgery or not, I think it's very important that everyone discusses the case together uh, because, you know, we don't like leaving out those key components and um, you know, being the only one that's deciding on the patient's care because it really is a multidisciplinary approach. Yeah, I mean, even when I've had patients referred from pulmonology right. for an early stage of lung cancer, I still always want them to at least get a surgical opinion. Whether they come in and tell me under no circumstances do I want surgery, it's still, yeah. I think, appropriate to hear from the surgeon because you want to know what you're saying no to, both good and bad. Right. And you want, yeah, I think the most important thing is you want patients and family to make an informed yeah. decision. Yeah, and, and vice versa, if a patient has an operable tumor sometimes, I, I do sometimes refer patients who I might deem as not a, a, a great surgical candidate, and whether they go through surgery or not, it, it, you know, they might need to see Rick for a consultation 
um, after surgery. And I think it's nice to have a meeting of the minds beforehand. Just everyone kind of takes a look at the case and agrees with the, the upfront plan, whether that's surgery or radiation. And then afterwards, once you get all the details back, then you can kind of make your, your next decisions on how to prevent the cancer from growing back. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's the way Rick and I approach it. Yeah. So, um, and there's, uh, you know, probably just past in the past six months, six, 12 months, you know, there's a lot of things coming out where we're now having to do different marker testing and genetic testing on these tumors because, you know, there are new therapies open, opening up where we're giving immunotherapy after surgery and we're giving targeted therapy after surgery. And this wasn't something we were doing a year or two ago. You know, this is new stuff. So, um, it's really important to, um, you know, once, once you meet with one individual, whether, you know, like Rick said, it's a pulmonologist that might be who you meet with first. Um, you know, we're going to be discussing, uh, you know, the whole treatment plan together, really outlining what's best based on the current data we have. So everything's evolving rapidly. And, and I just want to bring up that, you know, there, there next month, there may be a new treatment recommendation. <laughs> so, uh, it's really important that you, you talk that over with your team. So Danny, back to the topic of smoking and, you know, I, like I was mentioning, I think sm- quitting and trying to quit is one of the hardest things, especially if you're going at it alone. You know, I think there's some events and different things that different societies put on. Do you know of any or do you want to tell the listeners about any that you know of? Yeah, I think there's a, a great uh, event called the Great American Smokeout, and this occurs on the third Thursday in November. And it's where um, anyone who smokes can come together with, you know, either friends or family members who they know who smoke and uh, decide to kind of quit together on that day, put down the cigarettes and use that as the starting point to, uh, you know, lead to smoking cessation and not not pick up the cigarettes any longer. So I think it's a way that, you know, oftentimes I think patients feel like sometimes they have friends or family members who also smoke and and encourage that activity, you know, together. And But it's a way they can come together with those individuals they know who smoke and they can all make a decision to stop on that day. And hopefully that behavior continues in the future and they can use each other as, you know, supportive, uh, you know, support group. You're doing really great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they can use each other as supportive. When you find that natural straps, stop, just, just stop. Just stop. Well, you can cut that out, Brenna. Right. No, I usually like to leave it. <laughs> Make me sweat outside. Um, yeah, I think that was good. Do you want to read your second? Um... Rick's like, yep, exactly what he said. Um, second listener email. Oh, yes, I do. Please. Hey, Rick, we have a second email. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. Um, it's a listener email. So not, but a listener email not being Brenna's parents or? Not Brenna's parents, no. Okay, because I was really, I had a Tom Brady, Boston rant, cute. Anytime you need them, I got those things <laughs> ready to go. Save it for the overtime. Oh, gotcha. Yes, no, ma'am. We, we really appreciate this email, so I'm going to read it to you guys. Greetings. Love the podcast. As a farmer rep, I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to learn more about the practice. And while others, other engagements are limited, I love how educational yet lighthearted the podcast is. You all have done an amazing job. How do you feel about that, Rick? I mean, 
and warm and fuzzy inside. That's too. very I kind of someone to take the time to now, write. This is very important. So listen, keep the dad jokes coming. That's what she says. Oh, I don't think this listener <laughs> listens very well if th- that's what they're asking And for. here's one on me. So she, she wants to give us a dad joke here. Why did the mattress go to the doctor? I don't know, Danny. It had spring fever. Oh, okay. All right. So Very she's already good. doing... That's awesome. He or she is already doing their, that better than you. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. That one was better than my last one. <laughs> and here's a bonus Halloween one. Okay. Why did Dracula go to the doctor? For a blood draw? That's uh, a good one. <laughs> he couldn't quit coughing. <laughs> nice. Nice. And she says, keep up the good work, Michelle D. Oh, thank you, Michelle. We other, thank you. other than the dad joke, your, your dad jokes were way better than Danny's, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I love the Dracula one. That was great. Thanks again. All right, well, thank you so much for coming back and joining us for another episode of Medical Minute. If you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, or you just want to say hi, please email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. As always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, and I hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And and tune tune in next time. time. A little twang on that one, Danny.